Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 893. The Italians park the way I would park if I had just spilled a beaker of hydrochloric acid in my lap. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am a revved up and so excited to introduce today's a very special guest, Jay Lamb. Hey, Jay, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Jay Lamb is an automotive author and journalist. At age 16, Jay sold his first article, a road test of Elvis's Maserati Ghibli to Auto Week magazine. And he hasn't worked an honest day since. Authoring 10 automotive books and countless articles for titles such as Car Driver, Automobile, and Spy, and serving as editor-in-chief of five national magazines, including Sports Car International and Vintage Motorsport. Jay has also started three enthusiast-related companies. His current bad idea is Lemons, whose event includes rallies, car shows, and an endurance race series for cars that cost $500 or less. And you'll remember that uh, we had a Lemons participant on the show not too long ago. That was Jeff Block, Speedy Cop, guest number 883. Jay holds nine FIA world speed records, the Guinness World Record for the most participants in a car race. That sounds very interesting. And a fair bit of disdain for car nuts who take themselves too seriously. So, Jay, I have told our listeners just a little bit about you. Please take a moment, share a little bit more about your many careers and your passion for automobiles. No, Mark, sorry. That's everything. That's the whole thing. You have encapsulated my entire career right there. (laughs) We're all done. Yep. Thanks very much. All right, gotta go. See you later. We'll see you. Bye bye. <laughs> really, I don't know how to how to expand upon that. I mean, I was an automotive journalist my whole career, and as that particular horse got shot out from under me, as it has been shot out from so many other people, I fell into the event business completely by accident. I started doing twenty four hours of lemons almost twelve years ago now. And that turned out to be just a much more entertaining and viable career than writing for car magazines. (laughs) It's so cool. You know, a couple weeks ago, I had Jeff Block on the show, an officer, and I mentioned Speedy Cop and the Gang of Outlaws. And he told me about the antics and the fun that you guys are having and connected us. And I said, I have got to talk to Jay. I mean, this is a guy who is just taking the concept of fun to a whole new level. So as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So Jay, take the wheel. You know, the best quote I ever got was from Martin Swig when I started doing events. And I said to Martin, who was doing California Millet and the California Historic Motoring Tour, and he really was the guy doing vintage car events oh, in yeah. America at that point. And I said to Martin, Martin, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Like, how do you figure all that stuff out? And Martin said, you know, Jay, you never figure everything out. You just do it and you hope you have good luck. <laughs> And I have lived my professional life by that ever since. And so far, it has worked out. 
Yeah, well, you know, I've had uh, that very wonderful gentleman that we had in our lives for uh, such a long time. His son's on my show. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I think sometimes that's the, the way it goes here in entrepreneur land is you just do it and work it out along the way. Yeah, you try you try to stay five days ahead of where the thing you hadn't known was going to bite you in the ass. And as long <laughs> as you're five days ahead and not five days behind, you can make it work. It's a little it's a little hairball, but you can make it work. Yeah, I had Deb Pollock on the show uh, not too long ago, who just did her second big event, and she told me the same thing. I mean, just putting this whole thing together is an orchestra in and of itself. And I've had uh, several guests in the past that put these events on, and they've said the same thing: you just have to dive in and start doing yeah. it and see how it goes. Yeah, you can you can never figure out all the things that you don't know. It is impossible to make a list of the things you're not aware of. So you just have to do it and figure it out on the way. And I think that's really hard for most people. And it probably keeps a lot of really good organizers from getting and starting something because they get hung up on that idea that, that they don't know all the things that they don't know. And you never do. You just got to start. Kind of like life, isn't it? <laughs> kind of like life and kind of like starting a car show. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? Go back in time and tell us about that pivotal moment when you realized you were indeed a car guy. You know, I don't think I can go back that far because it, it, it my earliest memories rotate around cars. And just like Howard and David Swig, I'm sure their memories are the same way. In fact, I knew those kids when they were two and five years old or whatever they were. Yeah. And just as they grew up with it, I grew up with it. My father is Mike Lamb. He's still he's still writing. He's still doing histories. He's still playing with cars. He was an automotive. He was one of the real early uh, automotive journalists from that kind of golden period of the 60s. He started in the late 50s. He worked for Motor Trend. He worked for Popular Mechanics. He started some of his own magazines. So I had this model uh, and obviously, he was crazy about cars and still is. He's always got stuff that he's playing with, and yeah. he's always taking a car that is six months from being finished and through diligent work and preparation, getting it to a point where it's 12 months from being finished. He's just always out there wrenching on stuff. So I grew up with it, and a lot of the time when you're a little kid and you want to spend time with your parents or they want to spend time with you, you're just doing what they're doing. Yep. Uh, so it never really even crossed my mind that – This wasn't a normal thing. I had to get into my 30s before I looked back and said, Jesus, what a weird waste of time we're all doing. (laughs) You know, we're all obsessing about these inanimate objects. What the hell is wrong with us? It just, it, 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 that took the, the, the perspective of adulthood before I realized that this is a special passion and a special, a little niche of the world that most people don't share. And of course, that is anybody who's in the collector car world, the vintage car world, the hobby, as their career starts to understand eventually, you're just providing other people who are passionate with a place to go talk about cars because their spouses don't want to hear it anymore. Their coworkers don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> you're just giving them a place to go to indulge in that. Yes, absolutely. Very cool. Sounds like your father's somebody I should get on this show and talk yeah, to. Yeah, should. I think that would be great. He's a fascinating guy and he's still very, very embroiled in it. Well, I've had lots of father-son and either a a couple father and daughter uh, people on the show, guests on the show. So I would love an introduction to talk to Mike. In fact, in uh, December, I've got Justin and Derek Bell who will be on the show back-to-back 
father and son racers, of course. Well, Jay, let's take a look at some of the many roads you drove down. You talk about it getting a horse shut out from under you. What a descriptive way to describe <laughs> a career change. I, I, that's the first time I've heard that. Very cool. I like that. So take us to a point in time where you met up with a big challenge or even a big failure. Walk us through that and tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum as you moved on. Well, you know, I'm torn. I can tell you about this transition from automotive journalism into events. I can tell you about getting married at 32 to somebody I'd known for four days. That was that was a big challenge. Oh, my. Yeah, we could go in a lot of directions. Which one do you want to hear about? (laughs) Well, let's stick to cars since we're at cars. Yeah, although the marriage story is quite intriguing. But (laughs) yeah, well, you know, that's probably a different uh, that's a different program. Well, you know, I'm not the only one who's gone through this, obviously. When I started in automotive journalism, and I did it because at 15, I looked around and I thought, well, hey, I got I to gotta make some money. I got to get a job. And my brothers and all of my friends were going to work at Taco Bell or A&W, and they were making whatever minimum wage was, $4 an hour. And I, w- I was watching my father do this other thing that at the time was quite lucrative. You know, I couldn't I, – I, I just – saw because he was doing it that over the course of a few days, I could make as much as these poor friends of mine were making in two months, slinging milkshakes. Yeah. So, you know, that was just a no brainer. And of course, I had this vastly unfair advantage in that not only did I see it being done, but I already had been introduced to other people who were doing it. You know, these are things that no other kid had an opportunity to do. So I had this crazy unfair advantage. So I got started in that business, and that was in the very early 80s. And at the time, Auto Week was paying, I think it was $250 a page for words and pictures. I may be, I may be wrong about that precise number, but that's what they were paying in the very early 80s. They are still basically paying that exact same rate. <laughs> um, and if you chart the, the uh, you know, if you chart inflation over that period, I don't know what that is. Is that an order of magnitude less money? Is it two orders of magnitude? (laughs) It's ridiculous. (laughs) It's preposterous. And so what was when I started a really viable career and a very professional career for good and bad, this is not a universally bad thing, but for good and bad, it has become a very different business and it has become one that is infinitely harder to make a viable career out of. So I really, I was there at the start. And I watched that, I I rode that process going down, and I had to keep kind of reinventing what my role was going to be just to stay at a a financially viable level. And that, that just got harder and harder to do. And ultimately, I think the response that I had to that challenge was, you just can't, you can't do this anymore. You got to come up with a different way to try to work this business. And so I went from a writer, I became an editor. When that stopped working, I became a uh, a publisher. And I could see that that wasn't going to work for a whole lot longer. I started, uh, I've always been very entrepreneurial. And I had started a few businesses along the way with varying degrees of success. But I was always in the journalism side was my core business. And ultimately, I just had to say, okay, I, I have to stop doing this. I can't live the life I want to live. I can't keep the, you know, my family the way that I want to keep it. I just can't do this. And I wound up by pure good fortune and good luck at that point, seeing an opportunity in the event business to take myself and the people who were working for me at that point in a different direction. I don't know if that's, if that's uh, inspirational. And I don't know that that's something that I engineered because this, this event business 
it really came up as a joke. It was not supposed to be a business. It just <laughs> evolved that way. But I think being able to say, okay, I'm going to fire my clients as fast as I can, and I'm going to do this other thing. I'm going to shut down this business that even though it's working well, I can see the horizon. It's like all the other things in automotive journalism, it's going to get more and more challenging. And I think that, again, is goes back to Martin's dictum of you just got to do it. You just got to do something and hope you have good luck. You know, it's a classic pivot, and it's a very wise pivot. And that's one of the things that a lot of people as entrepreneurs can't see sometimes. They're so busy doing what they're doing, they don't ta- stop, go up to the crow's mm-hmm. nest and look on the horizon and go, you know what? Those are rocks we're heading towards. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We need to row the yeah. other way, guys. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Well, it's hard. It, it, it's hard because it's always easier every morning. It's always easier to wake up and keep doing the thing you're doing than to stop and make the big break. I mean, even though the cumulative pain of doing the same thing too long is worse, every day, every individual minute, it's easier to just keep doing what you're doing. So it's hard to make that break. You just have to do it. Yep. Change is hard for everybody. Let's shift gears talking about changing something and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. Sounds like you've had a few of those along the way. Tell us one of yours. Well, the most obvious one in the context of this conversation is the first 24 hours of lemons that I did, which was supposed to be just a party for 12 of my friends and myself. It was not supposed to be anything more than that. It was just kind of a a, a joke weekend. About halfway through it, I went up to the top of the hill. This was at Altamont Speedway in California. I went up to the top of the hill overlooking the track, and this was halfway through the day Saturday an event that was supposed to be 12 of my buddies and waiting to get in at the ticket counter. There was a line of RVs and cars and pickup trucks. These are people I'd never even heard of. I didn't even know. <laughs> I have no idea to this day how they wound up uh, coming to watch this stupid. Who thing. are these party crashers? Who are these people? But I had a moment where, well, I had two moments. One, as these cars were sliding around and running into each other, I had one moment of saying, man, if I get out of this alive, I'm never doing this again. This was the (laughs) stupidest idea I've ever had. This is terrible. And then I had that other moment of saying, this is something that people clearly have been looking for. And and what they've been looking for, and I think I realized it right at that moment, what they have really been looking for is an automotive event that is not so deadly serious – that everybody is looking at everybody else and deciding, where am I in that hierarchy? Is my Alpha 8C above the guy with the blower Bentley? Or is the guy with the 250TR above my Alpha 8C? I think people were looking for a way out of that really hierarchical box that the automotive hobby had kind of found itself in at that time. And that was a moment where I realized there there, there might be a business for drivers or incorporated there other than publishing car magazines. Uh, you know, it's so fun when these kinds of things come to fruition and they just pop up out of, I guess, out of necessity in a sense. And, you know, who'd have ever thought that a lemons would become what it has Yeah, become? not me. Not, <laughs> I, you know, if you had come to me right before that and said, hey, I got this great idea. Let's take a bunch of people with no racing experience whatsoever and put them in really terrible cars and put them on a big <laughs> track for 24 hours and then just see what happens. I would have said, that is absolutely the stupidest idea I have ever heard in my life. It was preposterous. And in, in retrospect, it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, well, that's what the market needed. It needed a place for people who had, who had been too intimidated to get on track with a bunch of squinty-eyed racers, but all car fans fantasize about getting on track. Clearly, the world needed that. 
But boy, that's just in 2020 hindsight. At the time, it was preposterous. Oh, that's a wonderful story. Well, let's talk about a proudest business or career moment. I would assume uh, many of those have popped up in all your illustrative careers with awards and all the things you've done. But is there one that really stands out you'd share with us? You know, when I left school in Providence, Rhode Island, like your son. Yeah. When I left school, and I, I took me a long time to do it. I think I graduated at 24 or 25 or something like that. I had a long path. I really was not thinking I'd go back into writing about cars. I thought I would do something else. And I fell very much ass backward into the job of being the editor-in-chief of Sports Car International. Now, I'd never been on a magazine staff in my life. I'd been a freelance writer. I'd written a bunch of books, but I'd never worked on a staff. I'd really never even worked in an office. How'd you pull that off? I'll tell you, it says a lot more about the guy doing the hiring than it does about <laughs> the guy being hired. Um, I was, I, I left Providence. I was on my way to Los Angeles. I don't know what the hell I was going to do, but I knew some people there. And I was staying with my parents in Stockton, California, on the way, just for the weekend. And in the San Francisco Chronicle, in the Chronicle, in the want ads, was this ad that said, looking for a person with experience writing about cars. And, well, okay, I mean, I guess I need a job, whatever. I'll send, the, you know, I'll respond to this ad. Well, <laughs> there was a want ad in the back of the newspaper. They were looking for the editor-in-chief of Sports Car International. Now, that is not how you hire for that role. And as it turned out, you know, I think I was the only guy who'd ever actually published a story. They had no choice. They had to hire me. <laughs> and they didn't stop to ask, well, do you have the slightest idea what you're doing? To which I would have had to have honestly said, no, I don't have a clue. So they hired me. And the guy, Mark Ewing, who's a really interesting guy who's still around, Mark Ewing was the was the outgoing editor. And he he basically said, all right, well, here you go. Here, here's a stack of stuff that might be stories. Yep. Have fun. Yeah. He, like we laughed. He, See he ya. Had, I'm out of here. He, well, he had, to be fair, I mean, I understand why he had had it with that place, and he was just like, "All right, dude, this is your problem yeah. now. You know, yeah. good luck." And slam goes the door. Well, somehow, four weeks later, I finished a magazine, and I had no idea how to do it when I started. There were some people around, my father, obviously, Henry Rasmussen was the art director, which was a huge boon because he had a huge amount of experience and he was a great mentor. There were some people around to hold my hand to some degree, but I mean, I just had to do it. I had to figure yeah, it out. Yeah. And I got to say up to about week three, you know, the third, third week and six days, I didn't have really a lot of faith that it was going to work. And then on that last day, somehow it all came together. The thing went to press nice. and it came back and it actually looked pretty good. I got to say <laughs> it looked pretty damn good. And I was proud, but more stunned that that had just happened. And there were certainly a lot of rocks along the way. Like I think the very next episode, the, the very next issue, the cover car was a Lotus Esprit S4 and in big 36-point type on the cover, I called it a Lotus Elite. Uh-oh. It was not with, yeah, it was, the deal was not without its hair. Yeah. But, I, you know, I got, I got it done. I yeah. got it. Yeah. I got it. Wow. And that was a huge moment just for giving me confidence that I could take a problem I didn't understand and just work my way through it. Very nice. Kudos to you. Well, let's go back in time and talk about your first really cool special first car. That first car that you got in your life that really had some meaning to you. What was that vehicle? You know, I've thought about this a lot. And 
the very first car I had was a TR3, which was a wonderful car, and I love that car, and I'd like to probably get another TR someday. And then I had a, I had a 280Z, and you know, all those things. I had a Firebird convertible, all those things that you have as a kid in the Central Valley as a teenager. But I got to say, the first really special car that I ever had, when I was, I was 18, somebody gave me, because they had been unable to sell, a 73 Volvo 164E, which is not a car you're going to hear people answering that question with very often. <laughs> no. But I have to say that was a fabulous car. And in some ways, it kind of set the pattern for my career because it started out, this was a quarter of a million mile car and it was a one owner car. And my then girlfriend's father worked with this guy who owned it. He, for whatever reason, decided it was time to sell it. He put a fair amount of money into it and nobody wanted the car. So he, you know, he tried to get three grand and then two grand and then one grand. And by the time I heard about it, it was like, hey, I just want to give this car to somebody. (laughs) Pay me some money to take it away. (laughs) Pay me some money to take it away. Exactly. And I said, okay, uh, you know, I'll take it. What the hell? And it, it turned out to be a fabulous car. It was incredibly tough. It would cruise all day long at 70, at 70 miles an hour, as happy as a clam. It was solid. It was tight. It was incredibly functional. It was invisible. You could go past the CHP at 90, and he wouldn't even look up from his coffee. <laughs> and what it showed me, because I'd already done a lot of writing for car magazines, and I'd already driven a lot of very kind of spectacular, canonical sports cars and exotic cars. And what it showed me was that the difference between no car and a free Volvo 164E was 99.8% the difference between a Volvo 164E and a McLaren F1. (laughs) You know, walking versus having the Volvo is the vast majority of cars. And everything else is just diminished returns. And that car really showed me that. And I loved it. You know, it it was not an enthusiast car by any stretch, but it really helped me get some perspective on there is the passionate world of car enthusiasts who are compelled to know what is the Whitworth dimension of the steering wheel bolt on a 47 TC. And that's great. And, I, and I'm kind of that guy. But there's also this whole other world where these are utilitarian objects. They exist in the real world. They have real economics attached to them. And you really can't lose that context. If you want to appreciate the TC, you have to also appreciate the car as a utilitarian, inanimate object that fits into culture in really interesting ways. And the Volvo did that for me. And I got to say right now, if I could find a really original, honest 73-164E versus a really original, honest 59TR3, I'd take the Volvo. There you go, listeners. Any of you out there have that car, yeah. contact your, Jay. Your guy. And let me tell you also, boy, this is a this is a narrow market too. So yeah. if you have that car and you want to sell it, call me because I am absolutely, not only am I your guy, I'm your only guy. That's right. Absolutely. Well, how about seller's remorse? Is there a car you've let go that you really wish you had back in your garage? Uh, I'm not like that. I'm really not. And I've, I've had a lot of wonderful cars and but when I'm done, I'm done. And and even I actually had one stolen once. I had an NSX that I loved. It was a great car. And that got stolen from in front of my house in San Francisco. Oh, geez. So I wasn't even done with that car. And for a little while, I toyed with, well, I'll just get another one. You know, I got a great settlement off of Geico. I think they didn't know what it was, and they overpaid me grossly. 
And I thought briefly about going out and getting another one, but but no, I was done. The closest I've come, I had a 1967 Alfa Romeo GTV Grigio over natural leather. That was a fabulous car, and it yeah, was nice. One owner, I got it from the original owner who had owned it for 30 years, and it had been his daily driver. And he put almost 300,000 miles on that car when I got it from the original owner, and it was a fabulous, worn-in, patinated, just a just a fantastic car. And uh-huh. ultimately, I think I sold it along with a couple other cars. And I thought about that car a lot after it was gone. And I thought, well, if there was ever one I should save, it was it was that one. That was just a fantastic car. It has come up for sale again a few different times. The first time it came up for sale again, it had been hammered, mm-hmm. and I didn't I didn't want it. It came up on eBay, and I was like, ah, I just that's heartbreaking. It came up again on Bring a Trailer. I think it was a couple of years ago, and it had been restored pretty well. I mean, certainly well enough for for my tastes. And I thought kind of seriously about should I get it back and then I decided no I'm 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 done with that and I've moved on to other things and I think you learn something about every every new car you get and play with yep. you learn a lot about it and when you move on you can learn about the next one I always say uh old cars are like old girlfriends it's fun to have the memories but don't ever go don't ever go back there oh that's so true that is <laughs> that is so so true yeah and I also I really think like old girlfriends uh, nothing could live up to your warm memories so why why ruin it for you or the girlfriend <laughs> exactly exactly my wife's giving me the evil eye here over my yes. shoulder <laughs> Uh, we'll ca- we'll move on. How about uh, what has you excited and fired up these days are uh, going into the new year as we're getting close, believe it or not, uh, about your career? Well, I, we're doing a new event. We're probably going to launch it. By the time this show comes out, I think we probably will have will have gone public with it. We're doing an event, adding an event called HoopDecon, which is going to bring all of the not all, but but a lot of the different groups like us, like Lemons, that are celebrating the crappy, underappreciated, oddball, unusual stuff out there, bringing them all together in one place in one weekend so that Billetproof will be there, uh, Radwood will be there, Conqueror's Lemons obviously will be there. We're trying to get those kinds of things all in one place because I think there's a lot of room for alternative car stuff. Really, it's almost a counterculture to sort of the dominant Coddington, Monterey historic stuff. And all that stuff is great. Don't get me wrong. All that stuff is fantastic. But I think there's a lot of other interesting stuff out there that isn't that. And I think there are a lot of car fans who are so sophisticated now and so knowledgeable and they've been doing it so long they'd kind of rather see a mint condition 84 cimarron than another damn jaguar xk120 alloy body i mean (laughs) a cimarron is not nearly as good a car don't get me wrong but boy once you've seen your 15th alloy bodied original jaguar or you know however many were made once you've seen the same one 15 times you're just kind of looking for something you haven't seen for a while so hoopdecon is about getting all of those cars into one place. And that's going to be, I think it's the end of March. It's March 24th of 2018. It's Sonoma. We're going to try to round all those cars up. So cool. I'm, I'm very excited about that. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, people will either show up or they won't. And depending on whether they show up or not, we'll know if I was right or not. <laughs> You'll know if you have poured another nice glass of lemonade for everybody. Yeah. Where can yeah. people go to learn about that event? 
they can go to well uh, i guess the easiest would be just go to 24hoursoflemons.com there is a hoopticon website which is hoopti h o o p t i dash c o n.com uh that'll get them there too but lemons does a whole bunch of different events they all have their own sites but i just say everybody just go to 24hoursoflemons.com and everything is accessible through that. Perfect. And listeners, I'll remind you, I'll put links to those websites on Jay's show notes page here at the Cars yeah! website. All right, Jay, here's a very introspective question for you. If you were a car, what would you be? Uh, a 1973 Volvo 164. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think of myself, you know, I'm heavy, I'm slow, I'm not very exciting, but I'm very reliable. There you go. I like it. Great answer. Well, Jay, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal in this uh, 24-hour of Lemons Race here on Carja today, let's say thank you to today's Carja sponsors. What's every automotive enthusiast's dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, You'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Hey, Cars Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft seat covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft seat covers are easy-on, easy-off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicles. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks, and their seat savers, a favorite of mine, are custom-tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work truck seat covers are tough, durable, denim-weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark it cars yeah sent you. That's covercraft.com. Okay, Jay, we are back and we're entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> Yes. Oh, perfect answer for a guy, a guy that puts on the 24 hour loan, especially after listening to, uh, Mr. Blocks, Jeff. Jeff's yeah. Blocks show yeah. about what yeah. could go wrong. Oh yeah. my gosh. Well, Jeff, old boy, a lot, he knows what the worst that could yeah. happen is because he's experienced it all. And the poor your, guy. your helicopter car self ignites yeah. and burns yeah. itself to the ground yeah. on the trailer. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. my gosh. Well, is there a personal habit that you have that you believe has helped contribute to your successes? Yeah, anxiety. I, I'm always riven with anxiety and nothing, nothing drives you to get up every morning and work on a problem like just being anxious the night before. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Do you have a resource that you think our listeners would really enjoy? Yeah, go, go to, go to the website, go to two, four hours dot com. I think you'll enjoy it. I will certainly enjoy having them there. It's fun. It's a fun site for sure. Now, if I could arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that person be? I would want to have another drink with Martin. I really would. Ah, uh, yeah. I miss him. I met him a couple times a long time ago. What a wonderful guy. And yeah, I wish he was still with us. I'd love nothing yeah. more to have him be a guest on the show. Yeah. Well, how about a book? Is there a book you've read that you think our listeners should read as well? I am going to recommend what I think is, uh, and this is only because I think it's the funniest book ever written. It's from Bill Bryson before he became Bill Bryson. It has nothing to do with cars. But to me, it is an example of the absolute best humor writing, the most elegantly crafted sentences. And as a guy who spent most of my career writing, I, I respect the, the craftsmanship of it so much. I will recommend it to anybody, car people or not. It was called Neither Here Nor There. It is just a travelogue of a guy going traveling through Europe by Bill Bryson. Nice. Best book ever written. Oh, awesome. First time that book has been recommended. Nobody's heard of it. it it's, it's way back before the guy became famous. Fabulous book. Ah, very nice. I love it when new books are recommended here. And listeners, I'll remind you, if you go to Jay's show notes page on the Cars yeah website, you'll find a link to that book and all the past 882 guests, or 92. Holy cow, I'm moving fast here on Cars yeah. Guests before Jay, just go to CarsYeah.com, type in Jay Lamb, L-A-M-M is the spelling of Jay's last name, and you'll find all these great resources and very nice links so that you can get your hands on them, especially that book. I think I'm going to get a copy of that. Sounds interesting. Uh, can, I, can I give you one quote out of that book? Absolutely. It, it is car-related. Yeah. He, he writes, the Italians park the way I would park if I had just spilled a beaker of hydrochloric acid in my lap. <laughs> That's a line from the book. <laughs> and, and considering the last time I jumped in a cab in Rome, they drive that yep. way too. So. Yep, absolutely. Uh, yeah, don't ever tell a driver you need to get to the airport fast because he will do everything <laughs> to try to kill you along the way. Yeah, absolutely right. <laughs> All right, we're up to the checkered flag. The fun part, Jay, is if we're not having fun already, this last question can be a bit of a doozy, though. I'm going to buy you any very cool collector car. You better not pick that Volvo, though. We got to go a little bit, ah. a little bit higher brow than that today because money's no object. So don't worry about that. I'm going to write the check. What would that car be and why? That car would be a nut and bolt spot on pool room DBR1 replica. Not the real thing because I wouldn't want to drive the real thing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want that responsibility, but I just think that is the absolute pinnacle of sports car style. Mm. That late 50s, a lot of people were doing it well. Somehow Aston, which, you know, I don't think that they're, I don't think that they're sports racing cars from the earlier period. That's not, they didn't quite get them right. The later stuff, it's all gorgeous, don't get me wrong, but where they really hit it and, and stepped out was that DBR1, DBR2 shape. I would get one of those things and I would just park it in my living room and look at it all day long and drive it to the grocery store every opportunity with my dog in the passenger seat. <laughs> that, that is what I would have. 
Well, I appreciate you taking a little easy on me and making that a replica. At least it's not going to be quite as expensive. But uh, you know, who needs that kind of heartburn? I mean, oh, you could yeah. take—you just wouldn't want to take the real thing to the Safeway and you know leave your dog in the passenger seat. But yeah, a replica. Who cares? You can back over with a truck. It's just a replica. Well, I had a, a Beck 550 Spider that was restored or actually built by John Wilhoyt, who's been a guest here. He built wonderful 356s and 911s, and he built this car to such exacting specs. But you're right. I mean. I couldn't afford a real 550, but if I had, would I have driven it and taken it on all the trips like I did this one? No, probably yeah. not. So I appreciate that. But yeah, the Aston Martin one, I mean, oh my gosh, I just got a book in the mail from Motor Books, our friends there, by Andrew Noakes, N-O-A-K-E-S. And I'm going to be doing a giveaway and talking with him on the show of that book. And it's all about the 70 years of Aston Martin mm -hmm. and that car's in there. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. They are gorgeous, gorgeous cars. Aren't they? Aren't yeah. they? Aren't they? Yeah. I, ha I had one once because I just thought you just kind of have to, right? You just have to experience that. And just, boy, just like a wooden boat, happiest day is the first and happiest day is the last. <laughs> so you had a replica? No, no, no. I had a, uh, I had a uh, V12 Vanquish for about a year. You know, they were right at the very, very bottom of their, of their value. They're, they're going back up now. They were at the very, very bottom. And I said, you know, I've got this, I got this IRA and I'm not going to retire anytime soon. It could just as easily be one of these things. And so I said, I, you know, I'm never going to have this chance again. So I just, I bought it kind of on an impulse. I mean, I took all of this money out of the bank. I bought that car and I'm really happy that I had that experience. It was an amazing thing to have and to be able to touch and to play with. But boy, when, <laughs> when I was done, I mean, there is not enough money in the world, first of all, to keep that thing going. And second of all, you do tend to fall out of love with a car when it just gives you a lot of heartburn. And this thing was just a ton of heartburn. Just like an old girlfriend, as yep. we spoke of before. So true. So true. <laughs> well, Jay, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. I knew this was going to be fun. Thank you. Uh, well, you're welcome. And I've really enjoyed learning more about you. I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yacht listeners and with me. Is there a little piece of uh, guidance or wisdom you might offer us before you drive off into the sunset and then Aston Martin DBR1? Yeah, I would say if you want to do something with cars, just do it. Do not let everybody else saying it's a bad idea or you should treat your cars better or whatever. Don't listen to that. If you want to do it, just get in the damn thing and do it. Absolutely. And once again, what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and all the fun things you're involved in? Go to two four hours of lemons.com all right pour yourself a long tall glass of lemonade before you get there because you're going to have a lot of fun you're going to be there a while you're going to be having fun and if you want to participate in some of these events you know what you can do it and as jay said just do it well listeners you'll find everything that we've talked about today at the cars yeah website just go to cars type in j lamb again that's l-a-double-m and you'll find that page with links. Very fun. Well, Jay, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks for the invite. It was fun. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN 
Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.